All right, what's going on everybody? My name is Andrew. I am founder of MedGeeks and it has been a very long time since I have jumped on the podcast, but uh feels really good to be able to speak. And so what I want to do today is, number one, I know we haven't created a podcast episode in some time. And so I am here to tell you, for those of you who are fans of the podcast, that we will be bringing it back with a ton of clinical content, pearls, things to help you get through school, get through practice, evidence-based medicine updates, the whole nine. Um, We've been working really hard behind the scenes. And so we will be bringing this back. This has not ended, but we did have to take a little bit of a hiatus. And um, I'll share why in the rest of the podcast episode. So uh, basically what I want to do today is kind of give you a year in review of 2020 in terms of MedGeeks and also some of my own personal endeavors and or, uh, you know, things that have happened in my life, which I really owe to kind of everything that's been happening with MedGeeks. And so we're going to kind of tie everything together. I think there's a lot of lessons here uh, that are going to benefit a lot of people. And so just kind of very quickly, things that I'm going to be touching on today. Um, Obviously, I'm going to be touching on the pandemic because it affected us all personally, professionally, in every single way you can think of. I'm going to be talking about psilocybin and uh, psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy because it's something that I stumbled across and I really want to uh, share with you guys kind of the story behind that, share the story behind uh, me starting therapy, talking about our company structure, how we doubled in size, how we hired multiple full-time employees, benefits, and uh, I'm going to be ending the podcast with some main takeaways from the things I've learned in running MedGeeks, in speaking with all of our clients, working with all of our clients day in and day out, you know, now having a team of about 16 employees and just the growth. There's a, there's a lot of lessons here. So uh, we'll be tackling that at the very end here. So uh, bear with me. Those are the things we will be discussing. I'm going to try and keep everything very concise, but you know, let's, uh, let's just kind of dive into this. So 2020, you know, in a land of negativity and, you know, the pandemic was nothing short of a catastrophe. Many lives were affected. Many lives were lost. Uh, I myself am here in the Los Angeles area. And so we're currently going through a surge. Uh, New York hit it pretty badly at the beginning. And at the time of this recording, LA, LA County is, um, is in it. And, um, you know, I've been incredibly fortunate enough in the sense that I know less than a handful of people who were affected in my own personal circle um, who had very, very mild symptoms. And so I personally haven't lost anybody to COVID. I personally haven't had anybody seriously ill. And so for that, I am incredibly grateful. But I know that that's not the case for everybody. And, you know, the pandemic, aside from illness, aside from disease, something that really hit hard and what will be causing more of a sequelae, if you will, is the mental health aspect of what the pandemic has brought. You know, this has been a difficult adjustment. Jobs were lost, people were furloughed, but even more so, we've been put on lockdown. And human beings are by nature social beings, and separating and having people quarantine has really been a blow to mental health. And, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of this is going to be tied into mental health is 
uh, my fiance is a uh, is a therapist. She's a marriage and family therapist, and so you know I would hear following HIPAA compliance, obviously, um, you know, just the, the many stories of what the pandemic has has caused and what it has done in the community as far as mental health goes and, you know, where anxiety and depression run rampant, even without COVID. This has really, uh, you know, this was really the catalyst to really kind of accelerating the amounts of depression, anxiety um, in the world. And I think there's a lot of fear. And I think there's a lot of people that feel like there's a stigma going to therapy. And I will tell you that I actually started therapy for the first time in 2020. And it was something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And through my ignorance, um, I never really thought I needed therapy. I didn't really think there was anything going on. I just kind of wanted to be proactive in a sense. And I wanted to kind of dig deeper. But it was really COVID that made me just kind of dive into that. And I'll tell you kind of what I've learned starting therapy. And I personally don't think there should be a stigma. I think everybody should be going to therapy. I think there's something wonderfully beautiful about having an objective, non-biased person guide you, help guide you through this world. And so, you know, the pandemic was a difficult adjustment. It was a difficult adjustment for myself in a social aspect. Um, you know, a lot of what I did in life was just kind of cut down. And in the same goes for many people here throughout the country where our lives were just changed dramatically. And not only that, but, you know, there were many relationships that I saw being strained. There was, you know, back before COVID hit, if you were in a relationship, you had the option, especially for the relationships where people would live together, you had the option to leave. You had the option to hang out with friends. You had the, the option to decompress. With COVID, with being in lockdown, there's nowhere really to go. And so what, what we started to notice was there were many relationships that started to feel the pressure of actually being, you know, having all of this distraction taken away where you were forced to actually sit down and communicate with one another and actually figure out what it is that was occurring. And, you know, this was very difficult for a lot of people. And so, you know, you saw a lot of divorces, a lot of breakups because of this. And, you know, through the pandemic, like I said, this was a difficult adjustment for myself. I actually stumbled across psilocybin by happenstance. And, you know, I had a really enlightening experience. And for those of you who are unaware, psilocybin is the uh, main ingredient in magic mushrooms. It's considered to be a psychedelic. And so, and currently there are many FDA uh, studies around psilocybin. And I really dove deep into psilocybin and magic mushrooms and the opportunity that it can create. Now, I know a lot of people are, un I don't want to just say uneducated, but there's a, there's a stigma behind this in the same way that there's a stigma behind therapy. And so the only thing I am here to do is to share my experiences because it, it is the catalyst as to why MedGeeks actually, in my opinion, succeeded in a time where we were supposed to fail. And so, like I said, I stumbled across psilocybin. It really led me down to a path of personal growth. And it's really the reason why I actually started therapy. It was it was it was a scary experience, um, and I think in order for psilocybin to be effective, it needs to be done responsibly. You need to respect it. So you know, the first encounter I had, I actually had a frightening experience. There was a lot of there was a lot of paranoia, um, and there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of self reflection. There was a lot of me looking inward and not seeing the things I was looking at, not liking what I was looking at, I should say, and. 
it was for this reason I actually sought out a psychiatrist. And I specifically went and sought out a psychiatrist who had a lot of experience working with psychedelics. I know what I experienced was meaningful. And the last thing that I wanted to do was to reach out asking for help and having that physician, the psychologist, whatever the case may be, you know, because they are uneducated and because they don't have the experience for them to just tell me or, you know, for them to just dismiss everything that I went through. And so, you know, I will tell you one of my strengths is when I have a goal in mind, I will research the heck out of it and I will make a decision incredibly quickly. You can ask my fiance, it scares her how quickly I go from having an idea to creating a goal to then making it happen. And that's exactly what I did. I, I looked for the best. Um, I know there's also still a, a stigma behind it. Now, there's a lot of FDA studies currently being done. There's a lot of legalization. There's a lot of, there's a lot of work being done in the background to really show the benefit of psychedelic and psilocybin-assisted therapy. But, you know, I know there's a segment. Because of this, I really wanted to make sure that I could seek out the best person in the field. And I actually ended up finding a psychiatrist, a Harvard-trained, Oxford-trained psychiatrist here in Los Angeles, who is actually at the forefront of psychedelic-assisted therapy. And he's actually helped in studies such as, you know, the studies being done for MDMA for those suffering from PTSD. And the reason why I actually had paranoia. The reason why I didn't like what I was seeing was because, as my psychiatrist puts it, these are non-specific amplifiers of the subconscious. And so basically, there are many things that are kind of below the surface that we don't ever want to look at because they're scary. But this mushroom is a tool to help us actually face our insecurities, to help us face our fears, and... It's just a tool though. I want to make sure perfectly clear that I'm not advocating. I'm not telling you to try this. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm simply sharing my experience. And I also want to make it very clear that this is nothing more than a tool. And if you don't use a tool the right way, it can be very, very harmful. A hammer can hammer in a nail. A hammer can also cause fatalities. And so we have to know how to use our tools in order to actually you know, use them safely so that there aren't any consequences in, in that, any adverse reactions because these are substances that should not be taken lightly. They should be respected. And, um, but I'm very grateful that I did go through that experience because it made me face a lot of insecurities that I'll be quite frank with you, didn't even know existed. There was a lot within that I had no idea was there. And so this was the catalyst, in my opinion, that really changed the entire trajectory of the year for myself and for MedGeeks, our clients, our employees. Um, and, you know, it actually allowed me to do something that I've never done in my 33 years of life, which was reach out to my biological father. And I realized that there was a part of me which had the need to learn more about who he was. There were parts of me that wanted to hear his side of the story. And I actually found him, which was very weird because I saw pictures of what it would almost be like me looking in the future. <laughs> um, uh, and I did reach out, but I didn't get a response. But the reason why I'm sharing this story is not to tell you some sappy story about reaching out to my biological father. But there was so much that I learned in the process before I ever reached out. It was the journey of self-exploration behind reaching out. That was what's most beneficial. In other words, most of the personal growth was done before I ever sent 
the email. And so it's really powerful when we can figure out what it is that's holding us back. And most of it's mental. And as, as I'll get into in, in a little bit, a lot of our experiences, well, all of our experiences really shape who we are and how we react and how we think and how we do and how we act and how we think of the world. And so because we have all of these micro traumas that occur throughout our entire lives, it's very difficult to sometimes point to one thing that really dictates why you are the way you are many times. It's a series of micro, tra of micro traumas. And granted, there are times where you have major traumas, you know, as we've also seen throughout 2020 and many people's lives, there are major traumas that are significant stressor and cause for these things. But, but once you can actually identify, it's so powerful, working through the problem. You know, many people have problems uh, with parents. There are, there's a lot of psychological damage that is done in childhood. Um, whether it be a father, a mother, a stepfather, a foster parent, whatever the case may be, an uncle or an aunt, and working through that trauma without ever even talking to the person is incredibly powerful. And so most of what I got out of this was actually the work I did with, with, with my psychiatrist, actually realizing that the way that I am is because of this. I realized that I do have this chip on my shoulder where I'm out to prove and um, improve the world that I can do more and I could be better. And, you know, there's a little part of me that never feels like they're quite good enough. And because of that, I always have to overachieve and overdo and overaccomplish in order to try and fulfill this, this, this need. And something that I learned also was, you know, many of the greatest athletes are actually incredibly insecure. And the reason why they're so great is because they actually put in all of that extra work because they are actually insecure with how good they are. See, their standards are so above the rest because they never feel satisfied. If I felt satisfied, for example, at some point, I would have stopped trying to achieve. But it's this little chip on the shoulder, right? It's, 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 it's one of these things that's a curse and a blessing because without the chip on your shoulder, you don't keep going. There's no drive. But then if you don't have the chip on your shoulder, then you're more likely to just coast and be complacent. And so it's this constant battle of being okay with where you are, but yet trying to do more. And so that was a big, that was a big thing that I, that I realized. And, and, you know, the process of thinking about life differently and the process of actually questioning so much of what I thought was truth was one of the reasons why we changed as a company in Medicix as well. Um, you know, the pandemic caused, I mean, I don't know, I can't even begin to say how many businesses went out of business because of the pandemic. There were many businesses who were not able to adapt and to change and to pivot because of what happened and through no fault of their own. But we were very grateful to be one of the people or one of the companies, I should say, that was able to pivot. We were able to change our structure. And because of that, we were actually able to double in size. I was actually able to bring on three new full-time employees. On top of that, I was actually able to add benefits to our current employees. And I'll be quite honest with you, it's such an amazing feeling to be able to create these new opportunities, to create these new jobs, especially during a time like this where a lot of people are being laid off and furloughed, um, you know, where because of something that I started years back, 
this thing now that has evolved can actually put food on the table you know, for our employees. They can help cover necessities like medical expenses. I can't begin to tell you the feeling and satisfaction uh, of what that what that's like. And with that said, for those of you who do follow me on Instagram, a few days back, I actually posted a short little story sharing gratitude about all of you, the entire medics community, and also sharing gratitude towards the entire team. And right before I posted, um, I actually had a lot of fear. And I almost didn't post it, but it was my truth. And I didn't want my fear to stop me. So I posted. And I will tell you that I actually talked about this in therapy. And I talked about my fear of posting it. Because in a world where there was so much going wrong, I felt scared of the judgments of what would come with me posting something positive. And something that we need to realize is that the way others react is a reflection of their experiences. It's a reflection of where they are in life. And it has really nothing to do with us. Most of the negativity that's brought on by these negative comments in social media has to do with them. Your colleagues who treat you bad has to do with them, right? It's never really about you. And so although many of us know that, it's still very difficult to actually put into practice. And so I had to really think about it. Um, like I said, I still posted it because at the end of the day, I was it was it was a post about gratitude and it's how I felt. And so one of the big shifts as to how we actually grew the company even more was we stripped away everything we were doing and we started just three mentorship programs. I mean, I have so many clinicians in my kind of Rolodex, if you will. And we started three mentorship programs where we are personally working with both PAs and NPs who are in school. So whether you're you're about to start, we've had many uh, PAs and NPs join these mentorship programs before they even start. Whether they're in didactic rotations or studying for the boards, we're there with them throughout the entire process. And we are there for practicing primary care clinicians and the last mentorship we have is for those working emergency medicine. And it's something incredibly gratifying about actually being able to work on a more personal level with these clinicians, right? Because before we had a, we had, we used to do a lot of pre-recorded material. And what we realized was we'd much rather work much more intimately to really ensure the success of our clients. And so we built out a team around that and process around that. And we got some great people on board and we've really changed the lives of many clinicians. There's a lot of confidence issues that we've come to realize that clinicians face. Um, and there's a lot of expectations that aren't reality. There's a lot of these expectations that we have after graduating, you know, from PA or NP school that aren't met because we were never taught to, you know, we were... We were never really taught how to think once we graduate. And so these are the things that we really are working with our clients with. And it's been such a game changer. You know, one of the things for those of you who are PAs or NPs, and even if you're in, a, in medical school, you know, we often think that once we graduate, we're supposed to know it all. The truth is you will never know it all. And I've been saying this year in and year out, but the truth is you won't know it all. You know, we're often comparing our where we are in life to those who are years and years ahead of us. For those of you who are PAs, for example, when I was a PA, 
I would compare myself. I was a first year PA student. I would compare myself to the attending physician who had 30 years experience, wondering how this person was able to come up with a diagnosis in 0.5 seconds. And here I am one hour later, still trying to figure out what the heck to do next. And comparison is a dangerous game. And so I learned that we cannot compare and we, and you need to learn that you cannot compare, right? You're not going to know it all. Medicine is ever evolving every single year. There's so much more new information that comes out that it's impossible to know. Think about this for PAs and NPs who are in school for two years. The physician is in school for four years. The physician is in residency for a minimum of three years, depending on the specialty. The physician then goes into a fellowship for a few more years. They're not fully practicing on their own, you know, depending on, on what you want to do for many, many years. And so even 12 years later, we have a person who has dedicated 12 years to, for example, electrophysiology, which is just one aspect within cardiology, within internal medicine that they focus on for the rest of their careers. And for 30 years, that is all they do. And for us to think that after simply three years in medicine or four years in medicine, heck, even 10 years in medicine, that you know it all, well, it's not realistic. And it's actually quite arrogant for you to think that you can know everything about everything. And so once we realize the expectations we have aren't true expectations, they're not real. And the only thing we should actually be comparing is ourselves to ourselves. Strive to be better than you were yesterday and you have a win. You have a guaranteed way to become the best version of you. Not by wishing you were someone else, not by wishing you were smarter, not by wishing that you were where they are, by simply being better than you were yesterday. And so, you know, all of these things we've been working with with our clients have really changed the way that they've looked and practiced medicine. And it's been incredibly successful for us and it's been incredibly rewarding. Like I said, we doubled in size and we're actually looking to bring on uh, th- uh, four more full-time employees Um in the next couple months. And so whenever we have difficult times, there's also always an opportunity to be better. There's always opportunity to improve on the way things are done. There's always opportunity to make this world a better place. It's a hard force reset and forces us to take a hard look at our society as a whole. Why are we doing things the way that we are doing things? And so this, this leads me to, um, to my main takeaways. And so we can just jump right in, which is forming your own opinions. Um, look, I for the entire 2020, I didn't really consume social media. I didn't read a lot of headlines. Um, and I did it very deliberately. I truly believe that a lot of the media, you know, whether it be social media, whether it be you know, news outlets, whether wh- whatever the case might be, but they play on our fears and insecurities. And... If you think about it, they kind of have to, right? At the end of the day, they're a business and the way they make money is by getting eyeballs onto their content. Well, how do you get eyeballs onto content? Well, by stirring things up, right? If you just made very safe to read headlines, nobody would click. And so, you know, at the end of the day, everybody does these these clickbait type of headlines because if they can get you scared and fearful, well, let's click in and see exactly what it, you know, what they're saying. And there are a few times where I saw these headlines and I knew they weren't accurate 
but I really wanted to read the article and I actually went through the entire article. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I knew, I remember this was a, a really crazy point. It was the very last sentence or the last paragraph, I should say, of the entire article that they actually talked about why the headline wasn't accurate. <laughs> and so they went full circle to say, well, you know, it's, it's not, it's not true. Um, it would only be true if this, this, and this happened. But like I said, at the end of the day, they are a business and they have to play on fear and insecurity. The problem is that most people simply read the headlines. They don't dig deeper. You don't investigate the truth. And so you really need to form your own opinions. Don't take something as fact just because it was told to you. Don't conform and have an opinion because that's the way the world says it has to be. Most of our rules are grounded in a way that we no longer live. Most of these rules were made many, 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 many years ago when our world was much more different. It's your time right now to question everything. Ask why. One of the reasons for starting MedGeeks was because I hated the phrase, we do things this way because it's how we've always done them. I heard that throughout my schooling. I heard that when I graduated. I heard that in practice. I heard it in business. I heard it everywhere. Why are you doing things the way you were doing? You need to constantly reinvent yourself. You need to question yourself. You need to ask, why are you doing what you're doing? Now, I understand this is scary because it's going to really call into question who you are as a person. It's going to have you thinking, if I had this belief that wasn't true, what else in my life isn't the reality that I perceive it to be? Questioning your self-identity is hard, but it's going to be the only way you grow. At the end of the day, we're all here to build connection, community, and to leave this world way better than we found it, which leads me to the next takeaway. Life is all about connection. Early on in the personal growth journey of mine, um, I, at the same time I started therapy, I actually started doing Wim Hof, uh, Wim Hof breathing. And he's an, a really amazing uh, person who has this, a way of breathing very deeply, which you know alters kind of the pH level in your body just because of the amount of carbon dioxide and oxygen exchange that occurs due to the deep, heavy breathing. You know, actually to take this a step back, so Wim Hof is currently um, kind of the mainstream uh, person who is teaching this type of breathing, but there's actually something called holotropic breathwork that was actually derived back in the 70s by Stan Groff, who's a psychiatrist, and what he was trying to do was actually create breathing techniques that would kind of simulate this altered state of consciousness that LSD and, you know, psilocybin would kind of induce. Um, you know, back before these psychedelics were banned, they were actually used for many, many years um, by psychiatrists in psychotherapy. And so once they were banned, Stan Graf tried to figure out a way how we can actually recreate this experience. And you know, I'll tell you, you know, doing these breathing techniques, doing this for 20, 30 minutes in the morning really does put you in this deeper, in this, this place that really builds deeper connection within you. And it really, it's, it's almost as if you are meditating and you are letting go. And it's, it's a little bit difficult to articulate, but if that, you know, really allowed me to kind of hone in on what I want most in this point in my life. And that was the starting point where I realized that it was connection. I want more connection, right? Also, most of the personal work that I've been doing has been around building deeper connection with friends, family, and my fiance. Because at this point, you know, I'm still young, but I feel like I've done most of what I really wanted to do in life superficially. 
what I've realized is I may have done things superficially, but now I want to go deep. I want to go so much more deep with my relationships. I want to go deep with, you know, relationships with friends and family, my fiance. Not only am I going to be getting married this June, um, you know, I was actually supposed to be married in October, um, but because of COVID, I had to postpone it. So, you know, the next date that we have kind of locked in is going to be June. And whether we can or can't in June have a ceremony, we're still going to kind of go through with the marriage because at that point, we're also going to be starting to try for a little mini me or a uh, mini her because we're going to really start to get our, our family started. And so I really want to, number one, set a good example for my children. I want to be a great father. I want to be there for my children. I want to teach my children about family, friends, connection, giving back, gratitude, society, oneness, and only way I can teach them these things is for me to learn and to experience these things firsthand. I want them to think differently. I want them to ask questions. I want them to question why is society the way society is? Can we make it better? And so these are all the questions that are going through my head at the moment that I want to pass down to my children. At the end of the day, life is all about connection. With that said, it's not simply connection with others, but it's a connection with self. And another big takeaway that I've learned in 2020 is that your self-identity is a fallacy. What you think about yourself is nothing more than a reflection of yourself, right? So there's a quote that my psychiatrist told me that stuck with me. And he said, we live in a house full of mirrors, but we think we're looking out the window. So this is my interpretation. And this is the way I kind of chose to view this. Bear with me, it's going to get a little weird, but in a sense, here we go. <laughs> Look, the way I view myself is based off everything that has happened from my childhood to this moment in life. As I grow up, as you grow up, as we grow up, everything is based off the world around you, your experiences, and the way others react towards the things you do. Then you also start to shift the way you do things based off their reaction. So in other words, everything from the time you were born until present day, everything will ultimately shape your identity as you grow, including all of the insecurities, all right? Now, we all have our own experiences. We all see the way people react to the things that we do, which, again, alter the way we do things and the way we think about doing things. And we all have our own versions. So you have your own version as well. Now, Going back to all of my experiences, my insecurities, right? Everything that happened from a child to this point, everything that happened in my life, because of that, I see myself a certain way. Now, you also see me a certain way. My parents see me a certain way. My friends see me a certain way. But the interesting thing is, the way you see me is based off your life experiences up to this point. The way my parents see me is based off their life experiences up to this point. The way my friends see me is based off of their life experiences up until this point. No one has the same experiences. Therefore, no one will ever see me the way I see me. But we get so wrapped up into thinking that, you know, we're a certain type of person, but I can guarantee no one else sees it the same way. Therefore, why do we get so wrapped up into thinking and worrying and wondering about who we are 
when at the end of the day, it's fluid and it's very dependent on the person perceiving. This means that we're not put into this box. We're not put into a box that we think we're put into. It's fake. It's a fallacy. And if we can realize this, then it should really make it easier for you to change, to be different, to be better. Life is all about perception. Like I said, when somebody says something negative about you, oftentimes it has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with them. And so the next thing I want to say here is I really want you to keep an open mind. What you'll realize as you go through life is that whatever you thought was possible, whatever you thought you could accomplish isn't true. You could do more. These are self-imposed limitations that are based on your current experience. How do you think bigger if you've never experienced more, right? It's always through self-reflection that we can actually look back, hindsight 2020, where you can actually see how far we've come. But in the moment, it's a little bit hard to, to actualize and to think that you can do more. But I guarantee you, you can. Everybody underestimates how much they can accomplish. Think bigger. You can always do more, right? One of the big tactical things is having clear goals and consistency. And so, for example, one of the things, um, you know, that we offer in our mentorship is this one-on-one -on -one interaction time with our mentors. And at the beginning, you know, we would always ask, what is it that you want to work on during this session? And at the beginning, the clinicians would say, oh, I just want to discuss patients. And so I had to nip that in the bud because I want a clear goal. I want a clear outcome for what you want to accomplish during this session. If we don't have a clear goal, how can we end the session feeling satisfied that we did what we were supposed to do? Also, having a clear goal forces you to think. It's active thinking. It's processing. It's actually coming up with a strategy to be better. And so we need clear goals. Without clear goals, we don't know where we're going. It's, it's, you, it's, it's like saying that you, at the end of the day, want to get to San Diego from Los Angeles, but you're not too sure where San Diego is or that even San Diego exists. And so instead of actually saying, well, I want to get to San Diego, we just start driving. And without a goal and a map or a navigation system, instead of San Diego, you'll end up in San Francisco. So it's incredibly important that you have clear goals, but even more than clear goals is consistency. If you show up even when you don't want to, you will get more accomplished than most ever do. I will be 100% honest. The reason why we have grown is probably mostly due to consistency. Not giving up. Because when you don't give up, you get creative. You're forced to think differently. Consistency. Show up every single day. Even when you don't want to show up, these micro improvements add up. 1% compounding on 1% compounding on 1% leads to significant improvements over a year, two years, three years, and four years. That's what it's all about. And that's what I wish upon all of you. I'm incredibly grateful to be in the position that I am. I've never in a million years imagined that this would be where I am in 2021. Every year I look back and I reflect. And this year, the reflection was incredibly deep. And I want to give back. I want to do more. I want to help. Like, I know a lot of people question whether they want to be in medicine. And the, and the reality is there are a lot of people who tried to, to start 
side businesses or side hustles or whatever the case may be. And I feel like I've learned so much that I, I, I want to have these conversations with you. If you want to talk business, if you want to talk personal growth, something I was thinking of doing, which might be fun. Like I said, I've learned so much and I just want to share. Um, you know, if you are interested in maybe having a, some kind of a free virtual session where we can jam and I can answer questions and I can help you guys um, in whatever the case might be. I know there's a lot of PAs and NPs now trying to start something, trying to do good in this world. And I'll be honest, how do you change your system? It's not by staying in the system. It's by starting a new system. And so if you feel like you want to start something new, I, I want to be I want to be there. I want to help. I want to do what I can. And so, you know, this is not a pitch for anything. I don't have anything to sell you. <laughs> this is literally just me being incredibly interested in giving back and sharing whatever I can, giving any advice I can to help propel you to that next level. And so, like I said, if you're interested in personal growth or business, whatever the case might be, what I want to do, and I don't want to do it if, if people aren't interested because, like I said, incredibly busy. We have a ton of employees. We're hiring a lot more. We have our clients that we're dedicated to. But if there is enough interest, I'll put a link in the description of the podcast. Click it. It'll just be a sign-up form, very simple, for your name and email. And if we get enough emails, we'll schedule something out. And uh, we'll do something. We'll be doing something fun. And I'll do my best to help you get to wherever it is that you want to get to. With that said, thank you so much. I'm incredibly grateful. More than I can articulate in words, more than I can articulate in this podcast. And I'm wishing you the very best. I'm wishing you a very incredible and fulfilling 2021. Remember to question everything. You can do more than you think. You're better than you give yourself credit for. I love you. We'll talk soon.